Any questions before we get started? I don't think so. No, mm-hmm. I've never done this before, so oh, we'll okay. see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be nice and easy. The Five Elements of Letting Go, the podcast. Discussing mental health openly and freely, and learning tools and techniques to find peace. So welcome everyone to the Five Elements of Letting Go. I'm Dr. Jerry McCollum. And my guest today is Michelle Traxel. Um, I've I've actually we met years ago. Many like over ten years ago, yeah, probably. At least. Yeah. Um, when your mom was working mm-hmm. uh, in the same clinic I was. Yeah. And uh, uh, you were looking we were looking for extra help at the desk and uh, I think that's what they they had interviewed you, Doctor. No, no, I think that Harper was my other sister. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, now we I look, get it. We look very similar. Okay, but I'm the dirtbag with tattoos, and she's <laughs> like the normal one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, excellent. But I did meet you at pretty much the same time. Like Probably. we're very interchangeable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Okay, um, but. Uh, um, more recently, probably in the last, um, what, how long has Little Fast and Fresh been open? Just about three years. It'll be three years okay. this April, so right. two and three quarters kind yeah. of thing. So a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. uh, connected in the last three mm-hmm. years. Um, little Fast and Fresh is a little uh, restaurant here in town that does mainly takeout. You can, mm-hmm. can you even sit in anymore? Uh, have two seats inside yeah um we have a patio that's gonna come to an end pretty quick here yeah um but yeah we're we're primarily takeout okay yeah, yeah. and it's like whole food mm-hmm. delicious yeah we locally just, sourced kind just of thing. real food yeah. just that was the whole concept like real food fast yeah so yeah okay uh, one of the other reasons I invited you here is just because I think you're a fascinating person. Oh, well, thank you. And you always have very interesting things to say and share, and <laughs> oh, you're boy. not afraid <laughs> to uh, speak your mind. Oh, boy. <laughs> so that's one I'm of the really reasons. sorry, I- honey. <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys worried you're going to get in trouble now? <sighs> no. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm used to it. You're going to be fine. Yep. Okay. So anyway, the... The main purpose of the podcast is we're talking about mental health and, you know, I like to start off with where, where do you see and how do you see the, you know, the state of mental health within the, you know, our, our, you know, our community, Canada, the world as a whole. Uh, like uh, pre-COVID, I thought it was pretty terrible. Post-COVID, I think it's extra terrible. But in a weird way, I feel like we're being more aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now a new conversation is happening where, you know, before we wouldn't really openly address it. It was kind of this forever hidden secret of where everyone was in the spectrum. And you were a wuss or a crybaby or, you know, like just buck up. It's not that bad. And now we're all kind of like, oh, it is bad. And we're <laughs> we're at least recognizing it. But I still think we have a really, really long way to go. Mm, yeah, it, I think, you know, they're making it a focus. Mm-hmm. And even those that, you know, may have made fun of people yeah. with mental health issues before, now they're using it as the reason to put kids back in school and mm-hmm. fix things because they're concerned about everyone's mental health all of a sudden. Yeah, and I, I feel like there's a duality to that because I feel like on one side, 
yeah, it's great that we're addressing that and we're we're aware of that. But I also kind of feel like people are are using that as a little bit of a scapegoat. So instead of kind of having tough decisions and being open and honest, we're just kind of blanketing it mm-hmm, as this, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. oh, the kids' health, the kids' mental yeah. health, we yeah. gotta crush it in. So I think it it's a slippery slope um, as far as that's concerned of of addressing everyone's mental health, but. I've been a really big advocate for quite a while of, you know, senior engagement and addressing seniors' homes and um, kind of that void that new moms experience where they get kind of locked in their their homes. Mm -hmm. And so my real hope is that we all start to look at that because we all did go stir crazy when we were literally locked in our homes. So I, I hope that we can look at it, but I have noticed it's become like a, political tagline a little bit of Mm -hmm. get everybody back out to protect their mental health so well it's the new label that they're using rather than just saying i just want what i want yeah just give me what i want yeah Uh, this is the label i'll use so it sounds you know snowflake enough that they'll listen to me yeah (laughs) like there's something some weird kind of moment that's happening with it and i i do think it's good that uh it's at least you know in media, but mm-hmm. I just don't want to see it spin doctored to the point that we're kind of like worse off than we were previous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know when we there, there's always that that uh, difficulty of when you slide to one end. You know, we're always at this end of mm-hmm. mental health where we're not even talking about it uh, now. Yeah, everyone, you know, like we had a, a previous guest that her concern was is a lot of people think. You know, they're 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 confusing anxiety with anxiety mm-hmm. syndrome. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's a really really good point, and I I feel like that's kind of happening is almost like every little worry is becoming a diagnosis, and you you saw it and you see it still in kind of modern medicine, Western medicine, where every little thing could potentially be fixed, and mm-hmm. I, and I feel like that's kind of happening to mental health right now. It's like I'm anxious, so therefore I must have anxiety syndrome, or I'm you know, concerned and I worry or I insert whatever kind of minor neurosis you want and we slap a label, a Mm -hmm. mental health label on it. Yeah. So, (laughs) but that being said, I think we had to go to that place where we didn't talk about it and now we're overly talking about it and hopefully we find that that back to balance, that back to center. So I I think it's the same thing with emotion Mm -hmm. where 20 years ago, you didn't share your emotions. Totally. It was a negative thing. Yep. To what reality TV has done for emotions. Yeah. Where now everyone is extremely emotional and where their excuse is, well, I just got emotional. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's like what we <laughs> use alcohol as an, totally. as an escape saying totally. that, well, I, I, I behave that way because of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Well, I behave this way because I was emotional. Yeah. Rather than... You know, like with anything, it swings from one extreme to another Mm -hmm. and eventually, hopefully, we find ourselves in the middle where we can respect it properly. Yeah, and I think it's a huge learning curve. Like I know, you know, you look at your whole spectrum of your family, each generation treats it very differently than the previous generation. Mm -hmm. And I kind of noticed that going up and down and and one generation will know a lot more about mental health than the next generation and then it kind of... It does that weird roller coaster thing. So we'll see. We'll see how this kind of all comes out and and what happens now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm just grateful. It's like you said, it's a good discussion. It's something Mm -hmm. that we're actually talking about and how it affects 
everyone. Absolutely. And, you know, hopefully we'll, and, and again, any opportunity we have to talk more about mental health and getting people to share how yeah, they're actually feeling. Absolutely. We're going to save lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. So, um, you know, in, in a way, one thing, you know, I thought we could talk about is because we're both small business owners mm-hmm. and just the stress of going through <laughs> um, COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what was, uh, what were those first couple of weeks like for you? I think, so we shut down for kind of a, a bunch of reasons. Um, we had a number of staff who were immune compromised or caring for someone who's immune compromised. We had an immune compromised daughter. A few of our farms went offline, so we couldn't get product, and it was just kind of that perfect storm. And in the first kind of three weeks, I just felt so out of control. I felt like there was nothing that I could do to fix it or solve it or anything. I felt like a failure because I saw all these other businesses kind of trudging through it and trying to figure out how to keep going, how to put one foot in front of the other. And we just couldn't. And Mm -hmm. I was like, how come they can do it? And we're not. And we're pretty like, you know, we don't quit. So the fact that we threw in the towel was pretty shocking for me, I think. Um, And trying to to place that sense of failure and then still get up and teach my kids and cook dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I wanted to mourn this huge loss, but I kind of couldn't cause I still needed to solve the problems and pay the bills and find money and negotiate terms and figure yeah. out what was going to happen, you know, over the course of what we originally thought was going to be three weeks, a month, and then maybe two months. And then yeah. even getting back to it, we couldn't get back kind of full scale. Like I'm sure you, you know, you didn't get to just jump back into the mm-hmm. business you used to be. So yeah. then you're trying to become a whole new entity. So I think just like lost and a little flustered and a little over it. Like there was definitely moments where I was like, could we just fail like do we have to keep going i thought about that a couple times <laughs> yeah i'll be honest yeah, you know like, where you're like yeah you're okay like, how, i guess how i gotta start if i gotta start over i'll yeah. do something different <laughs> yeah like what other marketable skills do i have uh, <laughs> and it, it was it was a journey and not it's not done by any way shape yeah. or form and i feel like all of us are the one kind of thing that I held on to was the fact that all of us were going through it. Mm-hmm. So, like, we even had to close part of our business because we had two locations and we shut one down. And I think, like, in a normal journey of business ownership, that would have been just, like, a massive loss. Like, I would have really felt that. Mm-hmm. But instead, it felt more like solving problems and moving forward and yeah. and shifting and changing. And so... It was weird. Like you would think you would have one reaction to a situation, but then your what actually came to be was so different that you're like, I don't get it. Yeah. But you just, yeah. Was, yeah. There were so many things going on and hitting us from so many different so directions. So many different directions. You weren't sure what to feel anymore. Yeah. 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 But I, I just know those. Uh, you know, we had to shut down quite abruptly because yeah. we had, you know, at the beginning it was the choice of practitioners. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to stay open and take care of your patients, you're welcome to stay open. Um, we recommend those that, you know, can't um, create the distance. If there's their waiting rooms are too busy or, you know, yeah. things like that, then maybe they should close. But we were set up pretty good for that. You totally. know, it's just our clinic. No one else is running, you know. 
So we felt very confident that, okay, we can continue and provide good care. And all of a sudden I got an email that said, nope, shut you can't yours. work anymore. Yeah. And so we had to cancel and all yeah. our patients and just shut the door. And it was weird. And, you know, you go through that uh, part of, you know, I try to be very careful to try not let my work become my identity. Totally. You know, yeah. but there's that part of you. That's that identified is, as that. Yeah. Because yeah. not only, um, you know, would I lose a career that I love, but we have a pretty big community. 100%. Just like you guys do. Yeah. Like patient, uh, you're, you're, you know, clients adore you guys and are there almost multiple times a week (laughs) well we have we had people that came multiple times a day and we even had that senior community where like we were their connection and part of the reason why we shut down too is we we got a warning um because we took all the chairs out we took all the seating out we were like get in get out you know like you can't hang out here Mm -hmm. and people were congregating in the front they were standing around and eating they were hanging out out front and at one point in time we had like 75 people between outside and inside just like commiserating how sad and nervous and scared they were Mm -hmm. and there's not a great way to be like we love you we support you we're here for your journey get the f out yeah like (laughs) this it's not a doable thing so we had to have that like what could we do and we kept trying to you know encourage that of like please just grab your stuff and leave. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't working yeah. and had to just had to shut the doors and it sucked. Yeah. And, and knowing that those people that our community, we, we just gave them, we just took away their last safe space. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And for you, like you make people feel better. You know, when, when I come to see you is cause I don't feel good and I know that we're going to have this experience and then I'm going to leave and I'm going to feel better. And, the next day I'm going to feel better and the next day I'm going to feel better. And you, you had to take that away. Yeah. For it, it was particularly tough on those patients that had uh, mental health issues. Totally. Because, you know, some days, you know, you, there's so many other scary things in your mind that you don't think about it. And then some days you're like, oh crap, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. hundred percent. They're going to be not in a great place right now. If I'm not in a good place, hundred percent, they're in a rough place. Yeah. So, Yeah. It was hard to be there. Yeah, and and to to just pretend like everything was good mm-hmm. when really all you wanted to do is like cry in the shower. But <laughs> you have to you have to keep going. So for some people, you know, I I talked to someone kind of post COVID, and they were like, I loved it. It was the best time of my life. I reconnected with myself. I feel great. I'm like, I am so happy for you, but also so jealous because mm-hmm. I did not have that yeah. <laughs> experience in the slightest. But like you go, I'm very proud of you. <laughs> well, I f- it's interesting too. I really I noticed, you know, after the first three weeks, those, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but those that are, uh, were extroverts, Totally. Had the hardest time with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're the and ones that swung are. most to the, yeah. you know, conspiracy. Totally. But just because it it confirmed what they needed. Totally. You know, yeah. and, and we grasp on things and ideas that give us what we need. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't judge them because no. I know why. I, I agree. They're going agree. for those things. And you could you could kind of like watch it happening. Yes. Like I try really hard to avoid social media because 
<laughs> I have to be on it enough for business and I'm a feisty person and it's yeah. just a perfect storm. Yeah. <laughs> but you can literally like like watch them not not be okay. Like you mm. could you could see the grasp the on up. it just yeah. kind of like slowly shifting. Yeah. And yeah, it was that was super interesting to watch. And I I for myself, I feel like I identify as this bizarre, like, extrovert introvert because I'm extroverted when I need to be, but mm-hmm. I am so happy to sit on the couch and knit a hat and, like, not talk for six hours. Yeah. So it was this really weird kind of place to be. Of, yeah. <laughs> like, And I really thrive off connecting with people and being a part of community, but I had to really distance myself from reaching out mm-hmm. to people because I'm, I take on everybody else's stuff and I try and solve problems and it's, it was a perfect COVID storm. Yeah. So. Yeah. I found that I had to, you know, I trusted that whatever was going to happen was going to work out Yeah, because I always believe that. And I, I really yeah. try to make that in my philosophy. Um, but, uh, you know, so w- through that, I had to really practice on just letting go of, worrying about everyone mm-hmm. and, you know, rushing back to work yep. because I had no power over it. Yeah. So, you know, you have to focus on the things you have power over, which totally. is how am I going to take care of myself, my family? Yeah. You know, what am I going to do today to feel yep. okay? Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. And, and not get stuck in the like COVID competition. I did notice there was this bizarre, and I don't know if it was the extrovert people who just needed something to to do mm-hmm. and like something to hold on to but there was that like i baked 16 loaves of bread and did 19 loads of laundry and i'm organizing my entire house and it's only tuesday and then i'm like i put on real pants this week <laughs> <laughs> so you had to kind of find find your new normal and yeah. whatever kind of worked yeah. it irritated me a little seeing all those posts of what an opportunity to learn a new language or to 100%. get a new skill. Or, like, can we just be uh, sad? Yeah. Can we just like yeah. wallow a little bit? More than anything, we needed that time to do nothing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I know for the first 30 days, I didn't do anything. I know. Yeah, it was, I didn't do anything. Yeah. You know, and I had never. Not done stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like for me, you know, I worked every day. Um since i was 10 yeah you know like delivering papers you got to get up early every morning you know i did that every day and then you know i've worked you know like i remember i I think i did like a three-year period here at the clinic where i never went on a holiday yeah yeah and um partly that's because i didn't want to go on a holiday with my (laughs) (laughs) ex-wife but at the same time you know i've gotten better at taking taking Time. time away yeah. But I even with that, I've never had more than ten days off in a row. Totally in yeah, that was, thirty years. That was our life too. Yeah. yeah. So to have all that time, right. and then thinking I'm going back in um, you know phase one, we thought we'd be totally. But they, they missed acupuncturists on the list, and rather than you know apologizing and throwing mm-hmm. us on the list, they just said, "Ah, oh, you'll come in next phase." So. That gave us another three weeks, I think it was. Yeah. And, you know, that, it was good. Those last three weeks I got, you know, that's when I finally started doing things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, oh, the time's yeah. coming to an end. Yeah. yeah got to figure this out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you finally have a date. <laughs> yeah. Did you notice, though, like, are you approaching, are you approaching it differently now? Yeah. I don't work as many hours. Yeah. Um, 
you know, uh, partly that is because I didn't expect it to be terribly busy. Mm -hmm. But initially, I could have seen more patients for the first month. Yeah. But I stuck to my guns because, you know, you don't know. And we may add some more here when the fall starts if it yeah. gets busier. But um, I, I like yeah. this new setup and, you know. Because you have to, you know, you say no to a lot more things you were doing before and mm -hmm. you're keeping it a little more simple and, you know, it works for me. Yeah. And and I think we're all doing less, mm -hmm. you know, or we're not, uh, especially socially, we're not trying to yeah, get as many like things the, done. And the ridiculous um, overdue. Mm -hmm. That's something I've noticed with the business, but also just being a mom. Because I feel like even the way that I was parenting pre-COVID, I'm like, man, we were always on the go. Like, life was chaos. And now I'm like, you won't die if we don't do something on Wednesday night. You know, like, mm -hmm. and just kind of dialing it back. But we approach the business the same way, too, because Jared and I have both been in um, in industry our whole careers, our whole life. We worked in some type of food service. And even in high school, I would work the overnight shift at McDonald's and then go to school all day and then sleep for a few hours and then go work the overnight shift the, from like grade 10 to grade 12. Um, so I've never really been a person to stop. And now going back to it, <laughs> I don't I don't think we'll ever go back to the scale we were before. And weirdly enough... You know, it, our walk-in sales, our day-to-day -day sales, same amount in, of money, one less day a week. Because before we were open six days, now we're open five days. Mm -hmm. We've, we're missing kind of elements of the business because we used to do huge caterings and massive yeah. events and that kind of stuff. So, but it was really interesting to see how unneeded that extra kind of mm. grind was. And we shortened our hours because we used to be open 12 hours a day. Now we're open eight hours a day. Yeah. Just like paused for a second and reevaluated and and rethought it, and you know you get the people who are like, "Well, why aren't you doing this or why aren't you doing that?" And it's like, we just can't. We're just mm -hmm. gonna say no. We're just gonna stick to our guns, yeah. and we don't want to. Yeah, we're really tired. <laughs> <laughs> we're very sleepy. Uh, but it, it's been interesting to see a that we feel confident enough to do that, but B, people are kind of understanding now. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you run out of something, it's not the end of the world. Whereas before you'd get like an instantly terrible review and you'd kind of carry all that stress. So I don't know. I hope that that's a piece of COVID that sticks around mm -hmm. that kind of like do, understanding. Yeah. I, you know, I do think people are far more kind mm -hmm. and, like mostly, like asterisks yeah. of mostly. Well, and and I think you know the stuff we see, yeah, is it was always there. Yeah, it's we're just, just now, seeing. Yeah, it's just now, now people are pushing it more. Yeah, I don't know if that's because it's getting views or mm -hmm. people you know want it or expect it, so they because that's you know one thing it, you know I one book I read during COVID was. Um, uh, Humanity, I think it's called, and it's written by a uh, Swedish historian, and it goes through and he points out like about a dozen of the uh, examples that we've used for the last hundred years of you know humans are garbage mm -hmm. and without civilization and leaders and religion mm -hmm. they they'd be garbage and it would just be all 
absolute chaos, yeah. right? And he goes through all those points and <laughs> shows that they were all a lie. 100%. You know, like uh, one of the ones was uh, The Lord of the Flies, right? We yeah. all are expected to read it and watch the show when we're, when yeah. we're in junior high. And it was written by a teacher who um, was an alcoholic and he beat his kids. Perfect. He hated yeah. being a teacher. Yeah. He did never like children. Quality human. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he, this is how he perceived Kids. Youth and kids. Yeah. So he wrote this book to like, to assholes. share what, how yeah. he felt about kids. Yeah. And turns out that, um, you know, so the authors is like, there has to be a time where this happened. Mm -hmm. What did they do? You know, yeah. and he scoured through records all over the world. And he found a story of these six young men who were from a, an island, um, you know, in Tonga area. Yeah. And they had decided they wanted some adventure. And wanted to get away, so they were going to take a boat to New Zealand, and they didn't know how to sail. Perfect. They didn't know how to do yeah. anything, these kids. They steal the, the town's drunk's boat. <laughs> All fell asleep one night, so they lost direction and ended up, um, uh, you know, crashing on a, a, this sort of kind of rocky island. Mm -hmm. And they lived there for 18 months. And let me guess, they were... They were okay. Yes. Yeah. You know, they had a rule that if anyone ever fought, they had to go to opposite side of the island and for like four cool hours off, and cool, cool off. off. And they had this, like, amazing little organization. And so, so no cannibalism, no rape, no, no. abuse, no. no. Oh, weird. They all wanted to just, like, live and survive. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And, you know, even the one of the most famous uh, examples we hear of is that stand, uh, Stanford Oh, yeah, experiment, yeah, yeah. which um, was uh, the professor hired this guy to help him create the, the, the outcome he yeah. wanted, and they manipulated the whole thing. Yeah. They kept telling the guards to treat the kids, you know, people this way and to do this. Mm -hmm. None of them wanted to do it. Yeah, but they and, were forced. Yeah, into and it. even the yeah. guy that's screaming and crying in the in the video that they talk about, mm -hmm. he wanted to leave, and they wouldn't let him leave yeah. unless. They said, oh, you have to have a nervous breakdown to get out. So he faked one yeah. to try to get. So we have all these instances where I don't know if it's people on leadership or just people or it's a, a religious thing. Mm -hmm. This this concept that we're born sinners and we're evil and we need to be controlled by yeah. someone in power yeah. to keep us subservient. Yeah, I think it's power play. I think and I think that's something that's been kind of exposed is I think a lot of our mental strain is from power being pushed down onto mm -hmm. us. And I don't know if it's just because I've worked in a service industry where I'm treated as a servant yeah. since I was, you know, 10, 11 years old. I was born in a bar. Like my parents had a bar, grew up there, like all that kind of stuff. It's something that I've been exposed to my entire life. And I you you see people change because they have that weird position of power and they kind of become jerks as they kind of climb that ladder and yeah. they inflict their power on other people and then you start to see those dynamics and see how people treat those they view less than and now everybody was kind of forced to be on a level playing field and we started to realize like oh we actually need sanitation workers and the people who clean the hospital and yeah. you know the people who serve your food and the people who 
go do those kind of unsexy jobs became the backbone of our entire society. So I think a lot of the mental health crisis right now is this massive power void where people don't know what's real, what's right, or who's in charge truly. And mm-hmm. they, they feel weird. They feel yeah. really, really lost because they don't know how to control their power or harness their own power. So it's that weird, I don't know. And maybe just being small business owners, it's something that we've had to address time and time again. You have to figure out how to be a leader. You have to figure out how to lift people up. And it takes time. It's a skill set that needs to develop. But now mm. you don't have a boss. Yeah. There is no boss right now. Yeah. And it's there's a big void. Yeah. Well, especially with those frontline workers that were given a raise. Totally. And COVID wasn't even over. And, and then, then it they took away. It took it away. Yeah. You know, so here they're being told, you're important, you're needed, what you're doing is so amazing, we're going to give you a raise. And $2 to them is, is game changer. a lot of money. Yeah. You know, when usually their raise is like 25 cents a if year. that, yeah. You know, so now they feel like they're finally being respected and, you know, mm-hmm. I'm doing this dangerous job. Yeah. Being out there taking care of everyone, making sure they have what they need to survive. And then they'd steal it from them. Yeah. And I think the other aspect that's really setting people off, and maybe it's not even a conscious thing, but, you know, we all know we're suffering. Things are difficult. You know, things aren't the level they were, Mm -hmm. but yet the stock market is the best it's been in ages. You know, uh, Bezos and buddies are making millions, billions of dollars, billions of dollars with this whole thing. And, you know, I think people are waking up to thinking, that's not balanced. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think everyone's feeling that imbalance. And so before, before I feel like a lot of people live life almost on autopilot and kind of a zombie to what was emotionally happening around them. And now they're hyper aware. It's like everybody turned on their empathy simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this person who at one point in time had this high level insert whatever job you want here they have the same worries, concerns, and frustrations that, you know, like a server does. And we're all having this weird reevaluation, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I think, too, there was that, you know, I think people always saw there's, you know, there's the the bottom rung of, you Mm -hmm. know, the the working poor and the poor. Then there was the middle class who think any day now they're going to be a millionaire. Totally. Yep. So they don't want to change the structure because eventually they they're someday get they're going to be that person. Yep. Yep. And then you have the 1% at the top. Yep. And I think once, you know, everyone yeah. <laughs> but that 1% felt yeah. super vulnerable. Yeah. And that oh, maybe that's not ever a possibility for me. They had that time to think about mm-hmm. it and review it all and just see that this whole thing's a big scam. Absolutely. And, you know, we're I mean, this whole thing, you mean life in general. Like, <laughs> this isn't a like, oh, COVID's a scam. It's like, no, yes. we all realize that we are being taken advantage of yeah. every day of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. In our, you know, like we've become very aware of many things throughout this. You yeah. know, systematic racism. Yeah. You know, more people than ever are waking up and seeing it yeah. for a first time. Yeah. And I think, too, the, you know, the, the systematic, you know, uh, economic control over yeah, everyone. oppression of everyone. Yes, yep. is is very relevant and, yep. and and open to everyone now, where they see, hang on, 
why why are they profiting when everyone else is suffering? Is, is failing. And the profits that they made during that time could have solved every problem we have. A hundred percent. You know? And also the only way that they made those profits were abusing people. You know, people people started to realize that Amazon's work environment mm-hmm. is unbelievably unsustainable and super terrible and they could care less. You're yeah. a number that's filling a warehouse job and if you complain They'll replace you with another number. They don't care. But I think people are waking up to like labor violations, like mm-hmm. huge labor violations. Yeah. You know, there was there was a big struggle to try and um, in, not just in the U.S. Like I think sometimes we talk about these problems and we assume they're American problems. Mm-hmm. But within food production in Canada, there was this huge issue of actually tracing outbreaks because we found out that processors were using one SIN number to represent more than one person. So then you couldn't accurately track who was who. You had, you know, whole families living together, 20 people deep in a house. And then those people are going out and they're working all of these kind of like deemed menial Mm -hmm. jobs. But suddenly we're shutting down Tim Hortons and 7-Eleven and all of these businesses because these people that we normally don't even think about are all living together and they've become this kind of like hotbed of Mm -hmm. this disease and they can't afford to take a day off because they have a sniffle and then suddenly we have a pandemic. So that's what I said right at the beginning. I said, you know, majority of these people can't take a day off. So they're going to show up sick or healthy. Yeah. And like they always have hundred percent. And because no one's buying in at the beginning. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> you know, no one's going to give them a hard time. 100%. And something that really stuck with me was the fact that three Cargill employees from just outside of Okotoks died. And I just kept thinking, how would I feel if I found out that three of my coworkers died? Mm-hmm. Like, what emotional upheaval would that have? And the one woman, she had worked at Cargill for 25 years, never complained, was like the most incredible employee And her job was to pick out bone fragments out of the ground meat product. But she did it with a smile. She did it every Mm. single day. And her doing that job allows you to buy ground beef on the cheap. But everybody, she became a punchline. She became this like almost a COVID joke. And we just moved right past it as if it didn't happen. And Could you imagine if three people within your super tight network of you know, even if it was just like a couple businesses around here and three people on this block died, mm-hmm. like how big of a void oh, would yeah. that create? If, well, if, if three people in Okotoks died from COVID, 100%, people would be freaking out. 100%. But, but we just like shoved yeah. it to the back burner as if yeah. it didn't matter. Yeah. And Well, and I think it also exposed that, you know, what was it, 75, 80% of all the meat production in Canada. Yeah, it got shut down. Is, do- is done by one large yeah, factory. You know, corporation from the United States. Yeah, 100%. And it's actually, like, I could go down that rabbit hole so, so hard. <laughs> and then there's been a lot of things that have happened from that. So, you know, you had two plants shut down in Canada, and it represented 70% of all beef product that's mm-hmm. processed within Canada. So massive beef shortage, huge issues within the beef market. The beef industry has been losing 12 jobs a day since 2012. Like it's been failing since well before COVID. Mm-hmm. Then they take this ma- massive hit. Well, then you had secondary processors who normally process fruits and vegetables who 
maybe did a little shady deal or because there was such a deficit got kind of strong armed into packing and then magically onions had salmonella. So stuff. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So stuff that. So all those onions that were coming from California. Yeah. Well, it was actually 12 farms that were kind of through the Washington area and they were being packed just this side of the border. Um, But it was like hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And then maybe three weeks later, peaches. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, and like, (laughs) and salmonella is, is a a protein based illness. It's, it doesn't fucking happen on onions. Sorry, Mm -hmm. I'm swearing. Uh, But like stuff like that. So, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that because they haven't, they haven't adjusted for those labor shortages. They're still having huge problems. They figured out how unsanitary the working conditions were because they had everybody just cram-packed in a space. So they haven't figured out how to adjust for that. But I think I think a lot of the mental health stuff that's happening now is these things that we all experience were stuff that Canadians have never experienced. We've never experienced food shortages. Mm-hmm. We go to the grocery store, the shelves are packed. So that mental image of walking into the grocery store and there's nothing and people are in masks and gloves and it looks like doomsday and everyone's like yelling at each other and <laughs> frantically buying toilet paper. And you're like, what is happening? Yeah. I think it really messed with us. Mm. You know, one of the hardest types of anxiety to deal with is uncertainty. Totally. Because at least with anxiety, you're like, you have an idea mm-hmm. of what's going to happen. You know, you're thinking of all the scenarios, but with uncertainty, there's no scenario there to think isn't. about yeah. because we still have no idea where this is going. Totally. And there won't be a resolution within a year. No. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think, you know, we're six months in and we are about to pop off. Like, I feel like what we've experienced so far has been the, like, lead up to the bad time. Mm-hmm. Like, I, f- I feel like we're we're kind of cresting that other wave and... Hopefully we all learned a lesson or two and we can cope a bit better this time. But I do have a lot of fear around what this is going to look like, what the next four months are going to look like. So, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> on that light note. It's super let's... fine. <laughs> this is totally fine. So, uh, you know, one of the things we like to talk about is, you know, what you've been through and what kind of tools you've used in the past to help you, mm-hmm. you know, kind of find balance and deal totally. with your own mental health. Yeah. So, you know, what have you done in the past? I, I've done a lot of counseling. So I had a lot of trauma as a youth. So I went through tons and tons of counseling and even through my adulthood, every kind of major milestone within my development, I guess you want to say, uh, I've, I've reached out for counseling uh, and it's something that I will continue to do. It's something that i encourage absolutely everybody to do i have a pretty firm philosophy of like fix it before it's broken instead Mm of waiting until it becomes so much more than you can kind of handle so that's my approach yeah (laughs) um i read a ton i have a lot of things that um like weird hobbies like i knit around the clock Mm -hmm. when i can um and it just lets me shut my brain off and and reorganize and one thing for me is, you know, that um, like the uncertainty is something that I do struggle with. So <laughs> something that keeps my mental health on track is organization. So as long as I stay organized and have a task to focus on, then I'm good. And so 
I've figured out different ways. Like I know I have to have something kind of like a project on the go or something that I can jump into when everything starts to feel a little too, too much. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my kind of coping strategy and also just general wellness. Like I try and make sure I move often, move constantly, get outside. I garden mm-hmm. pretty much all, all summer. I have tons yeah. of plants inside. So I try and find things that keep me up, keep me moving and, and keep me engaged. Cause yeah. as soon as I become hyper sedentary, my mental health just absolutely plummets. That's a big thing. And just about everything I've read on mental health is the importance of at least 20 minutes of cardiovascular. Totally. And what it does to kind of settle the body. Uh, Another thing, you know, that you mentioned there, you know, with the knitting is, you know, it is such a Zen practice. It is. Because, you know, again, one big thing with Zen Buddhism is to turn everything into a Zen practice. So this idea of, you know, being hyper-focused on whatever you're doing so that your focus is constantly on the moment. Totally. And so skills like knitting, uh, where if your mind wanders off, you're going to mess up that whole hat or the socks or whatever. Which I literally did before I came here, and I was like, "Ah, (laughs) what did I do? (laughs) Puzzling. uh, You know, all these things that help. Like, that's something we did a lot during COVID. Mm -hmm. We had a puzzle on the table constantly for three oh, months super smart yeah. and so everyone was kind of when they just needed something to do and just like to distract thing. themselves yeah. yeah you know like i mentioned in the last podcast about how anxiety is um you know the an anxiety attack is a response from the um fight or flight response that you trigger through your thoughts yep and so your body is flooding with you know um all of this adrenaline and it has to be released now, you can be active to go and release that, like fighting or running. Yeah, <laughs> you know? 100%. But if you can't, you need to uh, trust your body and allow this to work out. Yep. It's going to be in weird symptoms that you don't like. Yep. But if you if you can distract your mind and stay with your body and not fight it, it'll clear in 20, 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. And practices like knitting and, yeah. you know, all coloring, those things, coloring, drawing. gardening, yeah. where you have something where, you know, especially... And, uh, something that's fairly new mm-hmm. is is more challenging to the mind, and so you really have to be in that moment. If something becomes so easy, yeah, it that your mind can wander while you're doing it, yeah, it loses its power. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, it's. I think I'm actually about eighty six years old. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm like, give me a good romance audiobook and a Fair Isle sweater to knit, and I am a happy camper. Like, that's my happy place. Um, but I think you just, you have to have that thing that that forces your mind to be in the now. Because we just, ugh, we live so outside of ourselves. And I remember when we came to your um, seminar on on your elements mm-hmm, and you're mm-hmm. talking about you know like we time travel a lot we're yeah. never focused and that's one thing like as soon as my mind starts to go to all the problems that are bigger than the now that's when i really really struggle and there are times that i have to obviously as a business owner you gotta look at the books you gotta do your taxes you gotta worry about all that kind of stuff but i have to find something else that brings me back to the moment and when I don't do that. I become an a hole. <laughs> <laughs> I will own that, um, and I just feel myself, you know, snapping and not 
not being okay and not mm-hmm. being, and I I can see it. I can watch watch it happen, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oopsies, and then it's really hard to recover from that. Because mm-hmm. so. in your mind, you create this really stressful world mm-hmm. that isn't reality. Totally. But you, because your mind is constantly in the future, in that space, yeah. you're always feeling anxiety, and you create the world based off this view, this anxiety viewpoint. Totally. And it's only when you can get back into the moment where you realize, oh, things aren't as bad yeah. as they are. Like one of the best things we can do for ourselves is not watch or read the news for a while. Totally. Like I said earlier, yeah. I had to stay off social media. Yeah. yeah. And then you see, oh, I haven't had one person spit in my face or yeah. tear off the, tear off my mask or yeah, know, 100%. Do, do anything silly all week. Yeah. People were generally really nice. And yeah. It's... To be fair, okay. I did get bawled at twice at Walmart yesterday, so... What's that? Like, two... You can picture them in your mind went, bah, and called me a sheep for wearing a mask at Walmart, so... I'm well, annoyed I thought, I that I was pla- at Walmart. I thought you were required to wear one there now. Yeah, I thought so, too, but apparently not. In all fairness, I think in the last six months, I avoid Walmart like the plague. Like, this this is not a sponsored <laughs> video. Uh, <laughs> I think, so the first time that I went, I saw um, a guy, like, they have a bunch of rules there now. Like, you have to wait at a blue line before you can start loading on the conveyor belt, and it's, mm-hmm. like, 1% at a time. So she was still ringing my stuff in, and this guy tried to start, like, putting stuff on the conveyor belt. <laughs> and she was like, sorry, sir, you got to wait. You know, I'll, I'll call you up when it's your turn. Because they clean it before yeah. he comes up. Yeah. yeah. And he just started losing it. And he's like, where's your mask? Na, 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 na. As he's wearing like a dirty single-use mask that's like down over just his mouth yeah. kind of thing. Like yeah. just keeping it real classy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they got into like a fight. And the lady was like, sir, if you are uncomfortable with me not wearing a mask, please go, you know, somewhere else. Um, I'm medically exempt. And he was like, yeah, right. Da, 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 da. And they started beaking at each other. And I was like, what is happening right now? So then <laughs> oh, no. he leaves. And I told the lady, I was like, don't let that ruin your day. Like, you're doing a really great job. Yeah. And and she started to, you know, feel like she needed to justify why she can't wear a mask. And she's like, I'm trying to get transferred off the till because, you know, I have breathing issues and PTSD. And as soon as I put it on, I, mm. I get a really bad anxiety attack. And, like, I do believe and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, girl, I'm with you. I support you. Whatever you need. Like, what is going on right now? Uh, but, so, but, you know, thank goodness you were that next I, patient. A hundred percent. Because she needed that right away. A hundred percent. And we had a really good moment. But I was like, I hate the fact that this minimum wage worker just got treated like that and mm. needed like a pep talk yeah. after the fact. And then I hate the fact, I I hate that I didn't, kind of jump in and, and tell the guy to kick rocks because he was just being ridiculous but i was so overwhelmed by what was happening in front of me i kind of couldn't believe it well so, and in, in that state you were smart enough to know that if i get involved this is going to escalate very quickly 100 <laughs> percent. i was like i am too fiery to be nice right now yeah, uh yeah. so then that was my my one experience and that was the only time i went to costco or sorry to walmart during COVID, and mm-hmm. then I had to go yesterday for something that nowhere else in town has. <laughs> and like seven minutes inside Walmart, two older men bought at me like yeah. I was a sheep. And I was just like, I'm never coming back. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. But I was thinking about, you know, 
who is going to enforce that? Like that is something that mask law is so tumultuous. Mm -hmm. Who is the person that's going to be like, I'll stand at the door and yell at all those people and make sure that they're putting a mask on because I wouldn't do that job. I'd be like, I am a minimum wage employee. I can make 13 bucks an hour sitting at home right now. I ain't getting shot at Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. It's, you know, like I know... Like it's, uh, I know at No Frills, they have someone sitting at a desk mm-hmm. with free masks. Yep. And they're basically guarding anyone coming in. Yeah. Um, but what a terrible position to have to it, be in. Well, and to, to force, like, I don't know who you have to do that. Yeah. You know, the, the fact that, unfortunately, businesses have to. You have you to know, have that. Like, yeah. quite honestly, you know, the, those big businesses, like, I guess, you know, they're, like, they're not small market things, but. Yeah. I don't know if they have to have a security guard or yeah, which know. is is not a minimum wage. <laughs> no, job. that's not. <laughs> and like, sorry, I'm so burpy. I <laughs> ate so much food before I came here. Uh, but I like I I had to be the person, so I worked at um, a company that rhymes with Warbucks for a really mm-hmm. long time yeah. in Vancouver, and we used to have to kick out you know homeless people and street people and. Uh, panhandlers and all that kind of stuff and there was some really dangerous moments and I just kept being like I am making I think at the time it was like an eight dollar an hour job working at midnight with people who were high out of their minds on who knows what and I had to be like excuse me sir could you stop peeing in the corner of this business (laughs) and get out and I, I it was the worst and I I I think that this trying to enforce masks would be worse than that experience. Mm-hmm. And I don't wish it on anybody. Yeah. So it's interesting. You've touched on a lot of points. It reminds me of, um, there's a book by Johan Hari. And is it seven? Oh, I'm trying to remember the title. I will put it in the description, everyone. Okay. But uh, he wrote a book about um, uh, depression, anxiety, mental health. And it was about... Uh, with himself, you know, struggled with depression most mm-hmm. of his life, depression, anxiety. And he, uh, you know, was told in his 20s, it's a chemical imbalance. Totally. So he started taking meds and, you know, initially he felt better. Mm-hmm. And then over time, it wasn't working wasn't the working. same. Yeah. And then he'd have to switch medications and he's kind of on and off. And he's just like, there's got to be more to this picture, Right. And so he, he's a journalist. He's written some pretty fascinating books. Uh, one about the drug war. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Hmm. And, uh, but this particular one, he goes through and he, just, he lays it out that there's seven things that we all need to feel balanced and have a, a healthy mental health. And none of them have to do with taking drugs. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you know? yeah. But, and... You know, one of the common things is that we have a job mm-hmm. where we feel we matter, mm-hmm. that we give back in some way, and that we have some kind of autonomy within yep. that job, that we feel yeah. we have control over uh, how we help and, and, and what we can do. And, you know, that we have um, some resolution on what we've done, mm-hmm. where, you know, I'm, you know, blessed that I'm from the start to the end of that process of what I do at work. 
And at the end, there's this nice rewarding result most yep. of the time that Hopefully. people feel better. Yeah. And it's the same with you. You know, this, yeah. you create this wonderful meal, people eat it, they love it, and they say thank you. Yep. Where a lot of people have jobs that are a little cog yeah, in those. Yeah, a huge machine. And they never have any input yep. on how it's done, and they never get the end result yep. out of it. And not having those things in your life causes depression. Yeah. Because you feel what I do means nothing. 100%. And I, I, so I had a, a role of authority within that Warbucks uh, company. Mm-hmm. And we had a, a retention. We had no retention. So we had a turnover rate of 150%. So we would have people who literally would go on their first break of their first day and be like, we're out. And we could not keep people because it was such a bad job. Mm-hmm. And it was terrible conditions, you know. They they would tend to move into neighborhoods that needed uh no th- never needed they mm-hmm. would they would go in and gentrify neighborhoods but they would be the first cornerstone of gentrification of these neighborhoods mm-hmm. but these neighborhoods were unbelievably dangerous at that point in time like I I remember setting up a store on Pender and Hastings in Vancouver and we were told we had to be off the property by nine fifteen and police would escort us back to the train station because it was that bad of an area oh and like. Goodness. People would OD in the parking lot and die, and you'd have to open the store late because it was a crime scene and yeah. stuff like that. And now it's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Like, in but quotations. Of course, of course, now, yeah. those that worked, you know, that worked there yeah. have to live even With further that. away yeah, because they can't afford, you yeah. know, because as they, you know, gentrify, gentrify. the, na- the yeah. na- neighborhood and make it, yeah. you know, bring up the, the quality, then people can't. Can't like, live there. And that's like what's happened here in Okotoks. So hundred <laughs> percent. hundred percent. There's not enough low-income housing, so 100%. people then, can afford to live here that do the jobs that most people don't want. Like, I have memories from those experiences of, like, I got taught how to pick a lock so that I could break into the bathrooms to see the condition of the person who was in the bathroom who was ODing. Yeah. We had to take light bulbs out and put black lights in because you can't see veins. And the whole mm. time we're doing all of this, like, how do we kick them out? How do we get rid of them? And I just kept being like, why are Why people- is this your decision? Yeah, like, and yeah. and where do they go if they're not here? And why are people feeling like they need this to survive every day? Like, why are they waking up in the morning and injecting themselves with something that could potentially kill them in a Starbucks bathroom? Like, yeah. what it, what on earth is going on here? And I feel like I had a lot of PTSD kind of from that. Like, I would, I watched people have to have their hearts restarted and then have to, like, jump on bar and make a latte and just compartmentalize it and try and deal with it later on as a minimum wage employee. And then it was like, Here's five dollars. Like there was never anything to <laughs> support me through that. Yeah. And I feel like I'm a pretty strong person and I and I know the the caliber of people that I also hired and brought on who I feel like probably wake up with that to this day and struggle with that to this day. And in a lot of ways we're like willingly giving ourselves these mental health crises crises and long-term effects just to try and have a meal and we we need to reevaluate that across the board and at least in kind of a service industry it's still dynamic and you're moving and there is that degree of you know the good can outweigh the bad 
And no one goes into it thinking that they're going to do it for the next 45 years. They mm-hmm. go into it thinking it's to get me through college kind of thing. But then I think about the people who sit in a cubicle all day, every day with huge amounts of stress, that kind of office space mm-hmm. phenomenon. And I think about how how do they do it? How do they find their identity? How do they feel worthy? How do they get through the day and then you hear you know like well so-and-so only talks about this and there's all this drama it's like yeah because they're bored and they have no worth and they have no nothing to drive them yeah and if there's you know no joy in your job and i know a lot of people you know they're paid in a salary Mm -hmm. so they don't they're not going to finish that job any faster nope because they're not paid well enough to, to do, do that. It. Yeah, they're and not rewarded so for that. They're like, well, if I do this too quickly, then I'm going to be given more work. 100%. For what I'm being paid for. So they stagger this out and they fill in all that time with politics, totally. you know, office politics and, and gossiping real politics and, and, and other things, yeah. right? And conspiracy theories. Yeah. And <laughs> right. And, you know, and, and it's sad. Totally. That that has to be done yeah. to. Uh, to have their only way to fight back and honor their time and honor yeah. their their hours and keep their brain going because mm-hmm. otherwise you just turn into into mush. Like yeah. I, 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 you watch it, you watch it kind of happen and you see it, and and then I kind of think about you know if somebody's spending eight hours a day at that job, maybe they're commuting an hour each way. That's ten hours out of their day when they're up for maybe fourteen to sixteen hours. So they get four to six hours for themselves. To do what? Like mm-hmm. they need to eat and shower and get groceries and raise their kids and pay their bills. So when do they have time to get outside of that? Yeah. yeah. There was a um, survey that just came out recently where they were surveying uh, white collar jobs that got sent home yeah. to work. And even during COVID, they saw a 40% drop in depression and anxiety. Yeah. And <laughs> premature birth was another that thing. That one yes. was so interesting. So yeah. I think there's two things behind that, you know. You know, one, of course, the less stress under the totally. mother, right, yeah. to work right up until yeah. as far as she can. So that In the comfort and safety of her own home yeah. without trying to get to work, without all that extra mm-hmm. headache. And she can wear those sweatpants right up until the end. And she's not having to stress yeah. out about, like, nothing fits and I don't feel good. You're safe. You're yeah. in a really safe place. And I think the other aspect to that was um, they didn't go to the hospital or to the doctor for every little small thing. Totally. Because they were discouraged to go to the hospital yep. and people were afraid to go to the hospitals. 100%. So what happened is they weren't going into the hospital more often. So doctors induced. weren't panicking and they weren't inducing yep. and forcing things that they shouldn't. Totally. And if they don't pick up on that other aspect of it, yeah, you know all these them. studies they've been done are just a waste of time because they'll blame it all on the mom because it's yeah. not just the mom who's yeah. stressed out that's causing these preemies. Absolutely, it's, it's the I actually I had that experience. So um, I have two kids, two daughters. They're uh, six and f- or seven and four. <laughs> Great mom. Uh, <laughs> but my my I had midwives for for both of my mm-hmm. pregnancies, and my my first baby should have been an at home super easy birth. I was textbook like we should have been so simple my midwife came out super early because i called her and said like i'm in labor 
was a little bit overdue. She came out early because there was a snowstorm and she happened to have been a cardiologist mm-hmm. uh, and she heard a skip, like this really tiny little skip on the Doppler. My water hadn't broken, nothing. So in a traditional sense, I wouldn't have gone to the hospital until my water broke. Mm-hmm. And she was like, we're going to go. And I was like, no, I am having this baby here. She's like, you're not. Uh, and Which isn't her choice. At all. <laughs> <laughs> uh And the fact that somebody who knew what my game plan was and who was my biggest ally the entire time was like, we need to leave. I instantly was like, okay, (laughs) like, you know that I wanted this more than anything. Mm -hmm. And if you're saying like, pack a bag, we're, we're out. So we ended up having to go all the way to Rocky View because South was open. And by the time we got there, our daughter was flatlining. So she would have like like one heartbeat and then it would be just flat and then another heartbeat and then it would be super flat and then like six and then flat and my water still hadn't broke. So Mm -hmm. I would have been at home not knowing that my child was dying inside of me if it wasn't for my midwife. Mm -hmm. So we get there, crash C-section, resuscitate the baby. Everybody's good after that point. So my, my second baby, I had a really, really bad pregnancy with her and, and, um, I got really sick at 25 weeks and she tried to kind of, she, she tried to, my body tried to get rid of her basically. Mm -hmm. And we were able to stop the labor and keep her cooking, but she was really engaged. So from that point on, I was just unbelievably miserable. And I went into active labor at 32 weeks, but my water didn't break. So I was walking around with contractions from 32 weeks till 40 weeks, but I had midwives who were like, if you can tough this out, you can keep cooking that baby. And I remember every week we'd go into the hospital to get a little bit of pain medicine so I could sleep and and Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And every single time the obstetrician would be like, we can induce you. We can get this baby out. This pain will stop today. You can have this baby. And I'd be like, well, what's the risk to the baby? Well, they would probably need medical intervention. They might not have developed lungs. You know, you might have this issue, that issue, but you won't be in pain anymore. And mm-hmm. my midwives would kick the OB out of the room and then they'd be like, <laughs> okay, let's regroup on a scale of one to 10, which is worse, your kid not making it or these contractions that you're dealing yeah. with. And I made it all the way till 40 weeks <laughs> because they kept being my ally Mm -hmm. but watching that conversation and it like it's the worst thing to say to somebody who's in pain and who's Mm -hmm. nervous and who's everything of we can make this stop we can we can solve this problem i would have had that premature baby i would have had to have a second c-section but because my midwives were like calm down if you can get through this we will get through it with you and really like advocated for that i was able to have what I wanted and had a healthy baby. And I think this whole premature baby's not happening. I think I I agree. I think a huge part of it is you take away that chaos Mm -hmm. and babies stay inside. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, we need that, that balance of the two. Yeah, I agree. Trusting a woman's body. Yeah. Trusting the birth process that, you know, like I had a patient a few weeks back where, you know, She's 40 weeks and they're inducing her. Yeah. I'm like, why, why are they inducing you? Yeah. 
And that's a, that's a really interesting thing. And I, so my first went about 10 days over and I remember feeling like a failure when I hit my due date and my phone's blowing up and everyone's like, you're having this baby today? Like what's going on? And every single <laughs> like, day, like, you know, like these due dates logical. are, you yeah, know, like, <laughs> exact on every time. And we're on vacation. Like it's just this magic date circled in yeah. a calendar. And I felt like such a failure like and every single day it got to the point where I finally had to turn my phone off and like put it away Mm -hmm. because I would wake up to is the baby coming yet are you having the baby yet when's the baby coming and then with my second one I actually ended up having her on her due date but again my midwives so I think with first baby you 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 have a different set of Mm -hmm. viewpoints my second baby they were like it'll come sometime between like the first week in November and the third week in November. And I was like, okay. And I just, people would ask, when are you due? And I'd say November. And they'd be like, mm. November what? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Sometime in November. And and they really need to transition to that. I agree. More of a, you know, window, Yeah. you know, a two to three week window yeah. and trust, you know, because what I don't get is what will happen if the baby stays well, in there for a while, eventually yeah, it'll the come body out. will get that baby out because yeah. it knows what to do. And there, there is kind of this myth of 40 weeks because I know women who've had like a 36-week, nine-and-a-half-pounder. Mm-hmm. And she was like, if I freaking went all the way to 40 weeks, that thing would have been 14 pounds. Yeah. Like, so super weird. And then I have another friend, seven-pound baby at 43 weeks. So it's... The body does what it needs to do. The baby does what it needs to do. We're mm. we're a team. We're yeah. figuring this out together. Yeah. But I, I try to be that <laughs> really annoying friend when people are like, yeah, our baby's going to be born October 3rd. I'm like, ish, October 3rd, ish. Yeah. You do know you could easily go two weeks overdue and they're like, what? And then they do go two weeks overdue and they're like, I appreciate that you told me that like three months ahead of time because I mentally prepared for the fact yeah. that that kid's yeah. not coming out. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, we need to talk about yeah. that more. You know, that's one of the things that causes the most stress in our totally. lives is these expectations and ideas of how things are supposed to be. Yeah. And when they don't work out. We lose it. Yeah. 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 Just like what we're doing right now with COVID. Totally. Everyone's just like, but that's not how the world's supposed to work. And yeah. it's just like, you know, I, I, got, I saw this great thing the other day that kind of put it into perspective. And it was talking about, a let's say, you know, this woman who was born in 1900. Mm-hmm. So she's experienced, you know, <laughs> all of you know, it. Everything, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, uh, the Spanish flu, mm-hmm. World War One. You know, Spanish flu is like three years. Yeah. You know, doing doing dealing with World War One, and then the um, stock market crash, yep. the dirty, you know, the dirty thirties, dirty thirties, all those things leading into you know wars and yeah, you know, and multiple collapses. And, yes, yeah. and all these things that lasted. Longer than three months, people. hundred <laughs> percent. But I feel like we're like hyper focused on it because we have access to stuff that maybe is connecting us like a little too much yes. in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah. And one yeah. of the one of the things that as soon as I hear this, uh, I, I I get a little you know. <laughs> do your research. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm sorry. But the, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
-hmm. You know, Facebook is not research. 100%. YouTube, like I I jokingly tell people, people are like, how'd you figure out how to build a website? I'm like, YouTube University. That's what YouTube's for, people. (laughs) (laughs) You ain't a doctor. (laughs) Guys. And, you know, like I have uh, some very intelligent friends. (laughs) And... It just really surprises me. Yeah. And even some that, you know, like I have a physician friend in the States and, you know, the stuff that he would put out, I'm just like, okay, if that is your personal opinion, great on you. But that's a really but dangerous you thing. you are the mayor of your town and, yeah. you know, all these other things You're as a physician yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you have a very, and, like, predominant yeah. soapbox. Yeah. You need Low, to be careful. Yeah. yeah. And, and again... If that's his opinion, that's how he feels. Oh, that's fine. But at least allow everyone else that's involved in this yep. to have their own opinion mm-hmm. on it because, you know, there is, you know, and again, I think what we've, what's happened in our world is we're confusing beliefs from facts. Ding, ding, ding. And because to some people, beliefs are so important and they become so much of who they are. Yeah. They, they allow their beliefs to become their identity. And their facts that yeah. they base everything on. Mm-hmm. And they and so they twist these beliefs into facts. Yep. And then if you fight those facts or those beliefs, you're attacking them they're, personally. And you are attacking their identity. Because they're, they're, they've, yeah. exactly, they've allowed those beliefs yeah. to become their identity. Yeah. And we need to get away from that. Hugely. And just realize that, you know... Those things, like the the thing that frustrates them is because science develops and improves and changes constantly. And it's in flux. It's in flux. It's in flux. So they see all this indecision and and change as, oh, it's it's not real. Yeah. You know, um, and then, you know, their beliefs, you know, which never change and are constant. Mm -hmm. And are steadfast and never let them down and never shake. So yeah. then those become facts. Yep. When they're not facts. At all. Not <laughs> even close. Uh, so. And you could string any nonsense together and pull any random aged last name that has held a position of power and throw any ideas together and a couple Photoshop graphics and suddenly you have this like massive conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I can do that from my iPhone makes me really question all of it. Yeah. Question the validity of it. Yeah. And then it, and you, you're kind of watching it. Like everyone's getting that COVID fatigue. And because there's no answers kind of from mm-hmm. leadership or, mm-hmm. or the answers that we want from yes. leadership. Yeah, or fast enough or whatever. Yeah, right? Everybody's yeah. like desperately trying to lean into something else. And it's really dangerous. Yeah. I really do think in the next five years, there will be a peak to social media. I think so, too. Where particularly um, there will be so much faked stuff. Because mm-hmm. now there's like the deep fake videos totally. of people's faces and everything. Yeah. To a point where we will have so little trust in, you know, Facebook and Instagram and all those things. It's going to become like a tabloid almost. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, well, people will be like, okay, most of this is garbage. Yeah. So, and it just causes problems. So I'm not going to have anything to do with it. Yeah. And I hope that's what happens is that we just all pass on all of that. Mm -hmm. 
And either we make something better yep, or we realize that we don't need that. Yeah, I think it's, I, I feel like social media has been the biggest blight to all of this because I feel like, I feel like we really lost the sense of community. We lost a sense of connection. And so we have this like false connection in a lot of ways that isn't, I don't want to call it bad or vilify it because I do stay connected with my friends from around the world via social media, via that kind of stuff. But then there's this weird thing that's happened where we assume that we're like best friends with someone because we read their posts and we know tons of stuff about them and we get a really weird sense of connection to people. And so if that person that we've put on a false pedestal spews something that's not necessarily true, then that can infiltrate us mm-hmm. and then we're really crappy to our neighbor. Yeah. You know, like we, we don't really have that kind of, we're not connected to what actually matters anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's interesting to be in a position where you hold, I don't think I hold like esteem or clout or anything, but I think it's just the fact that I see so many people so often with, with the business, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you have so many people who walk through the door that you start to get a, a really broad tapestry of the community. And yeah. when I think of our community, I think of just absolutely outstanding people. I have a really big sense of pride. But then if you go on to social media and you look at, you know, some of the pages that represent our town, mm-hmm. you're like, where the hell is this place? These, <laughs> what is going on? And mm-hmm. you would think it was like burning to the ground. Yeah. And I think it just really skews the reality mm-hmm. in a really big way. And sometimes, especially around COVID stuff, when you're seeing things come out of other countries, you're like, is that actually true? Mm-hmm. Like, is that what's happening? And I, I feel like that's that's detrimental to all of our mental health for a lot of reasons. But then that false narrative and that kind of like blow up of what's happening is really dangerous because then if something does happen we're not going to believe it and we're mm-hmm. not going to sympathize to it and we're not mm-hmm. going to yeah we're not going to appreciate it so i don't know it's like we we're all on this bizarre skew and and where we should be is the exact opposite of where we are and the things we focus on are the things we shouldn't focus on and i think that that festers into a lot of what's kind of going on consciously yeah it's, it's like we took that rat race that was happening kind of nine to five in these really monotonous office jobs and then threw it on our phones and got super addicted to them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they were like, why is everybody struggling so yeah. much? It's like, oh, yeah, well. Yeah. yeah, there's so many layers to what we've put ourselves in. Yeah. But, you know, when I get frustrated about things like this and feel overwhelmed by them, I always try to look at the other side mm-hmm. in that, you know, we are in a better place totally as you know humans yep as you know earthlings than we have ever been before mm-hmm. you know there's there is less crime totally there is less war there is less premature death there there's is less everything we can think of it has improved yeah there's less famine there's mm-hmm. less you know global hunger there's yeah. all these kind of really incredible things but because we live in this sensationalist moment it seems like we're going down like we're in the worst we've ever been so it becomes that that kind of like man we really we we need to determine what media we get exposed to i i 
I try really hard to do it with my daughters. Like we have a no YouTube rule in our house um, for all of us. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, they don't get access to stuff unless they're supervised. And mm-hmm. even Zoom school was really hard on our daughter because she doesn't sit in front of a screen for a really long time. And mm-hmm. like my kids don't sit and watch TV. Like they're kind of always up and going and we're out in the garden and we're doing all that kind of stuff. And I, I feel like I have to justify that. I have a lot of people in my life who are like, oh, you're so mean. They're not allowed on an iPad. And when did that become normal? When did it become normal that like our kids are watching a screen 10 hours a day? And mm. what is that going to do? Exactly. We don't know. Yeah. It, I don't think it's helpful. I think, and again, everyone's going to find their different path or which works for their family. Yeah. Um, and I'm not trying to say yeah, that exactly. mine is right yeah. and yours is wrong. Yeah. But as long yeah. as there's, you know, enough balance of those Agreed. things they need, it, they're going to be okay. Agreed. But, um, yeah, I, I really hope, again, we move, you know, away from those needs. Yep. And that we spend more time just being in the moment and, you know, as a community celebrating the good yeah. things. Yeah. Rather than everyone focusing on yeah. You know, cuz it's it's hard on both sides of the fence. Totally. You know, whether you're on the on the right or the left, yep. you want change now. Yeah. Well, yeah, you you know, on the right you want change back to things were. <laughs> <laughs> and on the left, you want change how things are going to be in 30 years. Yep. And you know, I you know, I've been on both sides of that. Yeah. You know, being raised Mormon, I was totally. on, the, on the far right, you know, wanting to go back to the the days when women couldn't vote and <laughs> totally <laughs> suffrage. Let's go back to before then. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, this point, you know, another point when I was on the far left where we want all know, of it, everything now, now, because it's yeah. all possible. We have all the solutions. Let's do it all now. Yeah. But one thing that I continually remind myself of is that the way humanity works is it's like a pendulum. I agree. I was just going to say back that. Back and forth. Yeah. And, it was started really yeah. high when yeah. it was dropped, yeah. and it had these really wide swings. Yeah. And now those swings are getting narrower yeah. and narrower, yeah. and we're going yeah. to less extremes over yeah. time. And some people are fighting that, and yeah, so they're 100%. pushing to get more extreme to either end. But yeah. we're... I know, feel like collectively we're really trying. And I, yeah. feel, like, I feel like because everybody experienced kind of this like global health crisis and food crisis and mental health crisis. I think our empathy is really going to come back around. I think we got a little self-centered there for a minute. Um, And I I really hope that that's where we end up. And I I think, I think there's always going to be the people who share that meme on social media that you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So, and I think we all need that crazy uncle mm-hmm. in our lives mm-hmm. um, because it keeps us knowing. Yeah. Um, but I think the conversation is incredibly important. And I think kind of knowing where people are at is also really important. It, exactly. Like where you had that crazy uncle that would mm-hmm. just say racist things every now and then. Yeah. Um, they didn't really know how bad it was. And yeah. most of the time they're a good person. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I think that's kind of the same with their people's posts. 100%. You know, it's that's just how every I view once it. in a while there's these, these weird zingers. things that pop out yeah. and you're just like, really? Come on, that's not yeah. who you are. Yeah, 100%. You know? And 
you know, and I've been there. I've yeah. posted some dumb shit over the years. I feel like if you, know? you are of our age and got exposed to social media when we got exposed to it, you said some shock and awe stuff. Yeah. And I just feel like we went through our shock and awe phase when there wasn't a huge audience. And now I feel like other generations are experiencing it. But it's hyper-focused, mm-hmm. so they kind of didn't get that leeway of, like, making those weird mistakes that yeah. make people uncomfortable. So now, like, your parents and your grandparents are saying crazy shit on the internet yeah. that we got away <laughs> with at, like, 14 years old. And well, it's I, just a weird, yeah. it's a weird moment. Yeah. I always tell the kids that if there were phones and YouTube and the internet when I was in high school, I would never, ever be able to get a job. Oh, 100%. 100%. Oh, i real glad there wasn't a lot of screen capture back in yeah. the day. Like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. But um, the one thing I always remind myself, you know, when I'm dealing with people, because I, I see how much I've changed in my life. Totally. And I'm like. Everyone can change. 100%. You know, everyone can move a little bit more towards balance. And I feel like the only way we can get forward is to allow people to change. And I, Mm -hmm. I feel like... I feel like this flux that we've lived through, I hope that everyone can kind of like sit with it and realize that they survived chaos. They survived the unknown and that you can get through the unknown and you don't have to be so steadfast in your beliefs, in your... You know, your opinions can change, you can become more educated, and you can extend that to others. Mm -hmm. Because I I think that's a huge part of the issue is, you know, like you said, you know, your beliefs become your identity. If If you get so stuck in that, that you can't look past that and you have to hold on to this ideology and I guess, like, we can use race or religion as as the example, right? Like, you've got it in your head that black people are bad, but then you meet Ed, who's this super nice guy who picks up the garbage. He's got three kids. He's put them through college. Outstanding family. And you're nice to them, but then go inside and you're like, I have to hate them because that's in my belief system. Mm-hmm. Your beliefs are failing you. Yeah. And, and... I think there's a lot of people right now who are having this bizarre life identity crisis and they don't have something else to kind of attach to. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of that perfect storm. Yeah, it's interesting. Like on my other podcast with my son, um, we were talking about morality oh, yeah. and how morality uh, is completely separate from religion mm-hmm. and that it is something that evolves over time. Yep. And it often evolves, well, almost all the time, it evolves faster than religion. Mm-hmm. And whereas, you know, all religions said in their scripture that slavery was good. Yeah. And beating your wife was good. 100%. And all of these things. And, and sleeping then, with donkeys was yep. totally kosher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's some wild things in there. Yes. <laughs> and then over time, when our morality changed, yeah. we said, oh, well, that was a metaphor or yeah. that was that was that didn't really happen. That was just, yeah. you know, and then we made all these apologies and excuses for those mm-hmm. things when our humanity evolved, e- you know, kinda? evolved yeah. with our with, you know, our morality. And we said, no, those things aren't cool. Mm-hmm. And we continue to do that to this yeah. day. And we're we're all meeting a little closer mm-hmm. because of that. And we need that's why it's so important that. 
you know, we separate belief and fact yeah. and morality and all of that from yeah. this thing that's... And I, I feel like having a scale. Like, you know, you meet those people who, like you said, right, they they read that scripture and, and at one point it was a literal translation for mm-hmm. how they should live their life and now it's a... An idea, of a, a rough summary of this metaphor that was created 2,000 years ago, but somebody kneels at a football game and, like, cancel culture, burn the jersey, whole nine yards. So why are we so forgiving and adapting of one, but then won't even consider the other? And I feel like the spectrum on that is really really off kilter Mm -hmm. and things that we can kind of turn a blind eye to on one side that are beyond terrible and truly horrific but then you know a kardashian says something stupid or wears a scandalous (laughs) outfit and like we're all up in arms so i feel like and sometimes i feel like we use those things as escapism instead of actually addressing the real issue and maybe there's something to that right like it's a coping mechanism or it's something that makes it a little easier because sometimes when we start talking about these these ideas these are huge this is this is the core shaping value of most of us you know mm-hmm. most of us were taught from whatever book our family believed in and that became our moral compass and our guide of the person we were going to become and then we hit 16 and we're like Psst, And now we have to find this new identity. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if that's happening to you later and later in life and things are changing around you, I feel like the crisis you experience is so much worse. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that chance to kind of become who you need and want to be in your youth, you almost get stuck in a role. And so then these really minor things outside of the norm just throw you off yeah and maybe maybe yeah, you that's... just described the you know 20 years of my life with <laughs> right <laughs> you're like i know this story i yeah. know this <laughs> hmm. no it's it's yeah and and you see i i hate to kind of dog on them but you see older men who are kind of going through this like alpha identity crisis mm-hmm. and i've met a lot of men over the age of 60 who are like I'm a victim of being a white male. The white male's attacked. Like, poor me. You know, what a terrible time to be a white male. And you're like, no, it's just literally getting equalized. Yeah. Like, you yeah. are... You're like, still up there, buddy. Yeah, Don't worry like, about it. Yeah, like, you're still above everybody, but, like, other people are starting to come up mm-hmm. as well and are starting to say, like, maybe come down to our level. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's this huge identity crisis, and it's like they can't cope with the change. And so then... Sorry, you find them, you've, you you see that, like, it's a true, honest-to-God identity crisis. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, no, we're literally just saying, you can't say racist stuff, you need to treat people with respect and stop beating your wife. Like, yeah. that's that's where we're at. <laughs> yeah, and really, those that shift would solve so many so of our problems. problems. There's a great documentary out there. I saw it on Netflix. It may still be on Netflix. But it's called The Mask We Live In. Oh, I've never heard. And it's all about toxic masculinity and how we don't allow young men to connect with, Mm -hmm. share, and express their emotions. At all. And the damage it causes, you know. Um, 
you know, the, uh, you know, all the mass shootings in the United States. Always. What's the common denominator? Always. Young, white, males. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or somebody who identifies in that, like, higher level male mm-hmm. identity. Yeah. And, you know, suicide rates among men are much, much higher. higher. Because yeah. they don't feel they can express and deal with their emotions and, and get that support they need. And there's so many things within that that cause other pressure on others and yeah. themselves yeah. because of that, that we're not addressing those issues. Yeah. But, um, you know, the more we become aware mm-hmm. of these things, yeah. then we can start to heal. You know, it's something, can we talk about like sexy stuff? Sure. Okay. Yeah, this so, is an explicit podcast. Oof. All right. I'm here <laughs> for it. So one thing that has always really bugged me um, is the fact that me, being a white female or, or just a female in general, mm-hmm. um, I have always kind of been treated as a sex object. And something that's always been projected on me is sex with other women. You know, growing up, it was this, like, why don't you make out with her? And there was that I that fantasy of, like, and it almost became normalized of girls kiss girls and girls fool around with girls but if two dudes did that like if me as a woman said oh it'd be super hot if like you two made out (laughs) they would be like gross but it's normalized Mm -hmm. for women it's super super normalized and there's this kind of like um forced sexuality in a lot of ways on young women like teenage to young adult aged women of like go kiss her kind of thing Mm -hmm. but a a male would never be afforded that experience and Mm -hmm. like it almost becomes they have to be so straight it's painful and should they experiment in any way then they're big old homos like they don't Mm -hmm. have any gray area and in a lot of ways I feel like girls are afforded a lot more opportunity to explore their identity than men are. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to notice, especially around our peer group and our friends, like my, my husband's very fit. He's very athletic. He works out a lot. And we went to a beach day and he took off his shirt. And one of the other dads was like, oh, great fit daddy's here. Like now I don't feel comfortable to take my shirt off. And I was like, are you like... I know that you're joking, but are you? Because no, I, d- I don't think you're joking. <laughs> and I could see that he was having this, like, really hard time with it, with his own body image. And I was like, man, that was me at, like, 14. Mm-hmm. And I got to kind of live through that. And I had, you know, my sisterhood around me that lifted me up and told me I was beautiful and motherhood is beautiful and my body matters and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And And I got to put myself back together and find my identity within my own body, but we do not afford males the same privilege. Mm. They have to be strong and stoic and fit and groomed. And, but like a a girl wants to kiss a girl on a Saturday night when she's 16, she's not going to be labeled a lesbian her whole life. She's going to be a sex icon amongst her peers. Mm -hmm. Two dudes make out on a hockey trip and, it's done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they'll probably get kicked off the team. 100%. Yeah. So why do we afford one but not the other? And yeah. like, and especially when males have a higher sex drive, they have, 
you know, a greater desire to experiment with that. So what what happens when we don't afford that and when we force this like hyper masculine, hyper alpha kind of mentality on them? What are the ramifications of that? And do those ramifications impact young women? Yeah. You'll, you, you need to watch that documentary. <laughs> okay. I made all three of my boys watch it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Many years ago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, I don't know if it helped or what, but, you know, both of them came out. Yeah. You know, not too long after that. So, yeah. And I have two gay sons and, you know, it's, whereas if I were, you know, 10 years earlier, mm-hmm. I would have lost it. 100%. If, if I was still in the Mormon church, I would have lost it. I would not know what to say. I would yeah. be really uncomfortable, you know. Yeah. Whereas once I let go of those things, then I'm like, all that matters is I love my child. Yeah. And not what they do. They're safe yeah. and that they're happy and that yeah. they're loved. Like that's all we can really want. Yeah. And I just, I think it's so weird that we, that, that, exists like you're Mm -hmm. not allowed to question you're not allowed to explore you're not allowed to anything whereas like that is the epitome of porn yeah (laughs) (laughs) like that whole ideology right so i just don't understand why we afford it to one gender and not to the other yeah if anyone looking for answers to that question (laughs) watch uh, the mask we live in i'm going going to add it to my list so uh one last question what advice would you give to, you know, anyone listening on how, you know, tools or things you would share that you find very, you know, effective for you to find balance and let go of some of that excess emotion? I am not a doctor. Uh, No, no no one is here that I'm bringing in. I want to hear real people because that's what matters. I would say a support group. Mm-hmm. Um, is a huge part of it and having a connection to your community and and feeling connection to another human mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be you know a partner or a sibling or anything like I, I recently became really good friends with somebody who's much much older than me she lives just down the road we share a love of gardening and I am often so struck by how many things we have in common and I've learned so much from her working with her um, we're working on a, a project together for the food bank. We've mm-hmm. been writing a cookbook yeah. and just knowing her has benefited my life. And I consider her a part of my community. So like get out and, and do your best to connect with somebody so that you just feel more grounded mm-hmm. to your home um, and have, have a hobby and be able to admit when you're not okay and ask yeah. for help and mm-hmm. get help and never be afraid to burden somebody. And if somebody says that you're a burden, you don't need them. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, when we're in that state, this is the ultimate test mm-hmm. of connection and friendship. Totally. Because never be afraid to talk to someone about when you're hurting. Totally. Because if they abandon you and if they can't handle it, they're not your real friend. Absolutely. And you're wasting, you know... And it's a okay. lot of energy and stress on someone that isn't going to be there for you. Absolutely. And it's okay to break up with people. Yeah. You know, we don't just break up with our partners. You don't have to stay friends. You are allowed to have opinions. You are allowed to be a spicy personality. And when you are a spicy personality, you will piss a lot of people off. Yeah. And that's okay. They're allowed <laughs> to not like you in the mm-hmm. same way that you're allowed to not like them. Mm-hmm. And just 
just be authentically you because that's when you will feel the best. Yeah. 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 I love that. And, and, and I think to, you know, to feel authentic, you need to act authentic. I agree. And you need to stop worrying about what everyone else is thinking. Absolutely. And like, it's okay to turn your phone off. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to go to the mountains and mm-hmm. just deconnect, decompress. And yeah. we don't have to always be constantly living in a state of go. We can, we can just sit and we can, we can have a minute. Like yeah. truthfully, the COVID shutdown was the first time in forever, like other than giving birth that I actually did nothing and mm-hmm. that there wasn't 400 things to do. And I realized how much I actually need that so just take a minute take a beat and and just reflect yeah you know it's one of the things i always recommend to patients when they ask me what else can i do yeah and i don't give them a big list because if you give someone too much they don't do anything absolutely but i think one of the most important things we can all do is 20 minutes a day of doing nothing yeah and that's not um you know, 20 minutes of watching TV, 20 minutes of watching video or 20 minutes of it's your that mind thing. is in the moment for 20 yeah. minutes and it's going to be work and it's going to be difficult. Yep. But the benefit you're going to get from that is, is astronomical. Yeah. yeah. There is actually, I can't remember which study it is, but there's a whole study about how, um, uh, meditation, even just five minutes a day has huge impacts on the cardiovascular system and mm-hmm. mental health issues and all of these things just five minutes and then if you increase it kind of steadily with within that and you kind of think like what hap- what would happen if doctors started diagnosing meditation and physical activity instead of drugs <laughs> well and so in the uk probably almost 10 years ago now they had a huge study that they'd done with everyone within the uk and within the system for mild to moderate depression mm-hmm and what they found is that, you know, drugs like Prozac and all these other things don't work very effectively, like as far as like improvements and outcomes mm-hmm. um, for uh, those that are mild to moderate. Yeah. Those with like Super extreme severe. anxiety and depression, yeah. meds help a lot. Yeah. But for those people in those first two stages, it didn't really make that much of a difference. Mm-hmm. And it just caused other side effects and other problems. Yeah. What they found is, you know, so now instead of prescribing those drugs for those first two stages, they um, prescribe counseling. Yeah. So, so it's taken care of so they can go get counseling, um, you know, exercise, all yeah. these other things. Yeah. You know, we're really pushing for a national like drug program in Canada. The NDP is and everything like that. And I'm like, yeah. Can well, we, we need. Can we get yeah. a national counseling program and like physical uh, therapy, physical yeah. therapy, and you know rehab recovery, dentists. not dentists. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Not painkillers. Like, yeah. wouldn't it be amazing if you hurt your knee and you went to a doctor who could strengthen the muscles to repair the damage to your knee instead of a bunch of painkillers that made you hurt your knee more? Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Like, we have all the answers. Michelle. I know. <laughs> four times, four times in the last two weeks, people have been like, you run running for town council? I'm like, nope. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I've ran for town council before. Did you really? And I also ran for uh, federal government. Yeah. I didn't know that. And I've been asked several times since to do Dude. that for different parties or for other things. But one, th- I made a decision several years back that uh, there's enough white men 
in politics. Oh, fair, fair. And so I have decided I will never run for politics again. I feel like I feel like there is a place for the alt white man because I feel like it's kind of that use that thing that you have that's an advantage and then turn it on its head. Yeah. Well, if there's uh, any um, women out there with similar uh, <laughs> you know ideas that isn't interested in that, I would back them up. And uh, be out there throwing uh, as much towards Support. their corners as yeah. I could. Because I think that's what we need more of. I agree. And, uh, you know, if co- again, I've said this before. COVID has taught us something mm-hmm. that, you know, those countries that succeeded the most and did the best dealing with COVID all were had all had women as leaders. Yeah, killing and it. They just have a different perspective. The boys are not doing so well. No, not because so unfortunately well. they're stuck in a different mindset. Yeah. And w- with anything we've learned, that the more voices that have a say in how things are done, the more balanced mm-hmm. and more effective it is. And we need more female, yep. more immigrant, more, more First color. Nations. Yeah, we need more of that. We need a little less Wonder Bread, a little more multigrain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I know that scares some people mm-hmm. because they're like, but they're ideas and their their beliefs and things are different than mine and i feel a little threatened 100%. And, and i'm like one thing to remember is that everyone that comes to canada in particular wants to be a canadian yeah and they are going to you know do their best to make canada better yeah. they're not trying to Make Sharia yeah. law or all this other bullshit. They're that people getting are away out there. from. They're leaving that <laughs> because they want, want progressive. Yeah. You know, yes, they may still love their religion and still want to practice it. Yeah. But outside of that, they want and, their communities balanced. And I'm so tired of the like, well, their religion. Uh, homie, let's look at your religion here. Yeah, for look what second. yours has done over the last yeah, couple thousand like, years. They all got some demons. Yeah. They all got yeah. some bad guys. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's a really, we need that. And I, I feel like we'd all really benefit from just looking outside the current box that we have. But it's yeah. that kind of classic atonement. Like, yeah. if we actually start talking to indigenous people, we have to give them things back. Yeah. And we have to put the cookies back in the cookie jar, and yeah. nobody wants to do that. No, everyone's afraid of losing what they have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but we have to get away from that. We have to be yeah. open to wherever it's going to go, whatever is a little more balanced and right. And, and not be afraid. Yeah. The one thing that's driving me nuts politically is the fear like people are afraid to to make a decision in a lot of moments especially with like mask laws or covid restrictions or all that kind of stuff they're so afraid that they're going to get like dragged on social media that they're not making decisions and choices i feel like we need a lot more people who will look at it and make the best decision for the most amount of people Mm -hmm. instead of like bowing down yeah because we're, we're not yeah. going anywhere yeah i've always said i want a sign tough sign tocracy so a, not a democracy <laughs> but a sign so our decisions are based off research and science and social oh. science and what's there yeah so that we're making decisions that are based off what makes humans better better and our yeah. community better yep. rather than what you know this one little group wants yeah. and the thing is is that's gonna upset everyone yeah yeah <laughs> i'd rather have everyone a little upset yeah. and us moving forward than um you yeah. know 
because I don't think one side should get everything they want. I agree. Because that's not balanced either. Yeah. So, but would you have any idea that we've been talking for an hour and 45 minutes? No. Yeah. Go us. So this is the longest podcast episode. <laughs> I apologize to everyone. I But it's been really you. engaging. It has it's been. It's been good stuff. been a great conversation. You know, I, I always had a feeling that you and I... We are. We're, we're connected on a lot yeah. of those topics. And yeah. we haven't really gotten in a lot of this stuff with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but I still think this stuff is important because I do yeah. think these big picture stuff yeah. have a big effect on our mental health. I think it's huge. I think we so often assume that mental health is our problem, mm -hmm. that it's this internalized thing yeah. that we struggle with and we have to fix. But there's a lot of, there's an insane amount of elements that go into that that whole identity, you yeah. know, an in, in interaction that you have with a stranger can impact you for the day. Something that you witness on the side of the road can impact you. So there's all these kind of outside elements. Yeah. And then we're living through something most of us have never seen before yeah. under yeah. a hyper-focused lens. Mm -hmm. so. yeah. And there really is, just as we, you know, know and can see that there's systematic racism, mm -hmm. there is like this systematic control system yeah. that causes yeah, all of A it. lot of our anxiety, depression. Yeah. And as we make changes to, you know, make our life a little more balanced and complete and connected and take away those things, get in the way, we will find a lot more peace and balance I agree. in our lives. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hopeful. Like, I think our kids and those generations are going to be pretty dope. Like, yeah. I think, I think, you know, yeah. you're even seeing it with young boys who... Mm -hmm they aren't expected to be this thing anymore. And like, they're comfortable to wear a tight shirt and have mm -hmm. some buttons undone and wear some necklaces and paint their nails. And you're like, yes, yeah. I am here for this. Yeah. It's like, uh, I've said, I think I said this on the podcast before, but uh, my son, when he was 10 or 12, you know, he'd uh, come out to me one day and he said to me, dad, I'm, uh, I was, what is it? I'm a, uh, I can't even remember the term now, but uh, he's pans, uh, oh, pansexual. pansexual. And I was, yeah. of course, me being an old guy, I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's like, oh, it means I just love whoever I will love. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not going to not allow myself to fall in love with someone because they're yep. gay or straight or transgendered. Yep. And this is 12. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool, buddy. And he yeah. goes, and so we started talking about it and he goes, you know, dad, in 10 years, no one's going to care about gender. Yeah. No one's going to talk about it anymore because he says, we'll just love whoever we love. Wouldn't that be and so And we're not nice. going to judge it. And I was just like, this is 12. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I do have a lot of faith and hope yeah. that we've got more and more people that are coming up that have a much more balanced approach and, uh, you know, want to just see all of us succeed. Absolutely. And, be happy. and yeah. I, I like, it's time for a little civil unrest. Let's, let's shift some stuff up. And yeah. 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 We get all upset about riots for black rights, but you know, if Vancouver wins the Stanley cup or we'll burn you know, that it, let's burn the city the down and <laughs> yeah. no one's going to freak out yeah. about it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, what was it? Something was like, um, 
oh, this this town had $100,000 in damage from a Black Lives protest, but then the cops... It was $100,000. No, it was the New York. It was New York. And the, they were like, yeah, there was $100,000 in damage from this Black Lives protest. And someone was like, in 2018, they paid like $218 million to f- settle wrongful death suits Yeah, in, in these communities. Yeah. Like, kind of a drop in the bucket yeah. when we start thinking about it. <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm just like, it needs to happen. You know, yes, you want it as safe as we possibly can yeah. make it. But, you know. Don't freak out about a couple, you know, a few burned down buildings or whatever when uh, these are lives we're talking about. Like you pulled out your AK to get a haircut. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And no one arrested them. (laughs) You were willing to kill someone so you could go to the barber shop. Yeah. But like we don't want somebody to be wrongfully murdered in the street. And you're mad that a window got smashed. Like, can we can we talk about that scale? Yeah. (laughs) Here we go. Michelle, we're going to be here all night. I know. All right. Well, again, I I think we we touched on some really important things mm-hmm. here tonight. And looking at the bigger picture of, you know, things above us that are pushing us down and, yep. and being that heavy weight on our mental health. But yet at the same time, we have a lot of power mm-hmm. and responsibility yep. to – Try to find balance and to get all the connections and supports we can to get us yep. through this because we can't control that bigger picture. Um, we can influence it yep. and we can try to make change. Or we but... can burn it to the ground, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's hope the police don't listen to this. Uh, awkward. <laughs> they know where I live. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. Thank you. For this your time. has been this, really fun. It has been a lot of fun. And uh, again, you know, the... We, our, our goal out of all this is that these real conversations mm-hmm. can connect us to real people again yes. and real tools to find balance and find yeah. peace. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Well, that was fascinating, wasn't it? I think it was one of the most engaging ones I've had so far and particularly uh, focused on things that I'm really you know, into. A lot of the political stuff that we don't talk about often enough in their relationship to our mental health. When we are stressed out, you know, there's the internal stuff that we can deal with, you know, uh, changing how we approach our thoughts and making sure we're balanced internally. But then that other aspect is the mechanisms and systems around us that affect our health. You know, our communities have changed so much. Our Um, workplaces have changed so much and we no longer feel we have meaningful work that we actually make a difference and change things. And that affects us in so many ways. So I really do think this was a really good discussion. Um, We talked far longer than I anticipated. So anyone who got through, I'm really proud of you. (laughs) Well done. And uh, we're going to have to have Michelle back again. Because our, our discussion continued a little bit after we turned off the cameras and stuff. And um, we need to talk more about uh, some of the things that happened in her childhood and how she overcame that and all the craziness around that. So we will invite her back on again in a future date. And uh, that one will be a really fascinating discussion because I am blown away by how balanced and strong of a woman she is with her past. I know we didn't get into it in this one. 
but we will again. And I think you'll be really blown away by the things that she's been through in her life. I, you know, it's, uh, it's been a really interesting conversation because we've learned so much about how we, um, you know, all those external things that we don't have a whole lot of control over that affect our mental health. But that, you know, obviously just from our discussion, you can see there's a lot of emotion behind that and a lot of, you know, frustration and anger. And with anger, anger is always caused by injustice or when something is unfair. And, you know, within the five elements of letting go, we talk about how to release all those extreme emotions and particularly with anger. It's all about, it's not about getting angry or repressing anger. The middle path, the synergistic expression for anger is self-assertion. And this is standing up for yourself. And you may not be able to get the change you want. You can't force anything, but it's about getting your voice heard and expressing that in a balanced way. And there's a lot of organizations out there in the world that do something about it. You know, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, MAD, you know, the suffragettes, all these movements that we're seeing happen right now, Black Lives Matter. These are people that are so frustrated by the injustice in the world that they're using that energy to get shit done. And it's about channeling that anger into nonviolent action. And that's what gets it done. And yes, there's other things happening out there. There is some destruction, but hey, like we said in our podcast, you know, uh, people root and, liot, <laughs> loot and riot in the streets over sports games. And we only talk about that for a couple of days. So sometimes things have to get shooken up to get change. And uh, unfortunately, in the you know, hierarchy we have in our world, this is a very common thing. And we need to get over it as a people and support one another through it. So I really enjoyed tonight's uh, discussion and, you know, I'm excited to have her back again. Thank you for listening. This was a, um, a really fun discussion and I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for, you know, you know, uh, listening and encouraging me further to continue this because I, it has been a lot of fun and I do believe these discussions can help our community in many ways. Um, and, it just gets us talking more about mental health and connecting as a community. And these are things we desperately need at this time to help us heal. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Five Elements of Letting Go. Thank you.